Welcome to Watch Party Gaming. This is your host, Siobhan, and I am joined once again by my panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello, panel. 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 And on the panel today, we have Ruark. Hey. And Greg. Hello, dear. Axel. Hello. DW. Hello, everybody. And David. No bloody A, B, C, or D. So today we are reviewing the last episode of Good Omens Season 2, Episode 6, Every Day. And um, Neil, buddy, I just want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Who hurt you? No doubt. Okay, Sh- Siobhan, you can do the talking. I'll do, I'll do the menacing standing over. <laughs> we got a couple with height. We can stand behind Siobhan yeah. threateningly. <laughs> so uh, just for today's episode, because I know we all have a lot to say, we're going to do things a little bit out of order. I'm going to do all of the bookshop scenes and all of the heaven scenes, and then we'll get to where everyone reunites in the bookshop. I, I'm I'm not kidding. I have seven pages of notes for this baby. <laughs> so we start off in the, the bookshop where Azurfil is setting up his defenses and Nina being Nina is all like, can I ask you a simple question? What is going on? So he doesn't. So his answers are technically correct, but not actually do not actually contain any information. What I thought was great about this scene is he's moved to electric candles. Well, last time he used actual flame and it didn't work out so well. <laughs> well, he's uh, afraid of the fire now at this point. Books are sensitive to fire. It's understandable. He's a, he, he runs a bookshop. I have a headcanon that was Crowley who went out and replaced all the candles and went out. Like every time he comes over, he brings another fire extinguisher because he was actually in the bookshop when it was on fire. <laughs> Meanwhile, the demons are throwing garbage through the windows and Maggie gets into this standoff with them, where like one of them licks the window from across the street, and Maggie's <laughs> like, "You can't scare me. I had brothers." <laughs> <laughs> so Shax does this like psychological warfare, where she starts telling Maggie, "You know, you're nothing. You're nobody. Nobody. You are unloved and unlovable." And I know we had this conversation in the Wheel of Time podcast where we were talking about the the black wind that tells you all these terrible things. It's like for most people with, you know, mood disorders, that's just Thursday. Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. Well, I thought the interesting thing about that was not Maggie. It was Nina stepping in and defending her when she hears the emotional abuse that Shax is, is sending out. And I'm like... Ah, Nina recognizes this because she's been on the other end and doesn't want it to be felt. Right. That's true, actually. That's a good point. Uh, Nina's probably been listening to pretty much the exact same dialogue for a while now. Yeah, not much difference between Shax and Lindsay. Unfortunately, <laughs> it kind of works because in the process of defying them, Maggie says, come in here and say that to my face. Mm-hmm. Invite. And so they do. They start walking in. It does bring up the very, very rough point of vampires, whether or not the person that lives there can invite you in, or uh, the person that doesn't live there can invite you in. You know, who has the right to invite you in? But apparently here, anyone. Yeah, a mortal can open the doors to an embassy of heaven. Well, interesting. that feels legally dubious because then the demons could just get a human to walk along with them as long as the human could walk through the doorway and get inside and go okay guys come on in 
Yep. It could be that it's anyone that ha- that, that they have to have been invited in by... By the owner. By the owner, exactly. Ah. By being invited in, you are automatically delegated. You become a proxy. You become, yeah. And it might it might also be an extension of that whole thing was done for Nina and Maggie. And, and uh-huh. so, like, the invite, the, anybody they invited in would have been welcomed because that whole event was for them. Yes. Yeah. And, and Maggie also is part of the people yeah, who, who run the building. Yeah, she's a tenant she's a in the tenant. building. Her, oh, yeah. her record oh, shop true. is part of the bookstore. Okay, okay. We've legalized this. This is yeah, how yeah, we, it fits within canon. We've rules lawyered this. We've rules lawyered I'm looking at the scene where they all start coming in through the door, and the short, white-haired demon is named Demon Skittles. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because that's Awesome. Good run out of names. Oh, wait, no, so, out of curiosity, <laughs> having read the book, are these names in the book or are they made up for the show? Oh, this is completely made up for the show. So that's the job I want. I want to be the guy who gets to name all of the demons. <laughs> yeah. You, you're Crowley, you're Skittles. Yeah. This, this is this is not a book. This is this this series was created oh, by right. Neil. This is, yeah, but I was just curious if they named oh. the demons in the previous book. No. As far as we can tell, the... the Pastor and Lager and Beelzebub are the only ones in the book. And also, I mean, and Chax and Furfur, we know, are names that, that exist. Uh, they are demon names. I eat demon yeah. Skittles all the time. Eric, not so much. Or yeah. Eric. No. Oh, Eric is another Terry Pratchett reference. Is it? Yeah. Uh, it's a book he wrote, Faust, crossed out, Eric. Um, the story <laughs> of a child who summons a demon. <laughs> there you go. Azurfil comes out and realizes what's going on, and he opens the portal to heaven. And he's standing there, and he's holding like a candelabra, holding off the demons with a giant LED candelabra. You shall not pass. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, "If you turn around and leave now, you will not be harmed." He actually looks intimidating. He's got this very intense look in his face. He's holding this thing like a weapon. He actually looks like a defensive angel and the demons all turn around and start going okay well no just one does <laughs> just one does and it's well, Eric. I, you see a few of them turn the, the other ones at the back you definitely see looks of like uh gigs up time to go but yeah like the, right eric takes a step eric, eric yeah. is the one who makes yes. it all the way around and then Jack yeah. blasts him i, I think aziraphale is very soldier and he's going back into soldier yeah. mode yeah yeah I mean, he used to be the defender of the Eastern Gate. He he was a soldier. He had a giant fuck-off flaming sword. Yes. You know, so... Which would have come in really handy right now if he could remember where it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, but, but, not so much the flames. If he could get an LED sword. <laughs> yeah. he maybe might be maybe into just it. a lightsaber. Yeah, there you go. Ooh. Yeah. yeah, that was frightening, the way he said that. And that, that just comes down to the actor just being that phenomenal mm-hmm. right yeah. oh yeah so then you get the fight scene it can, starts can, off can with we talk demons. real quick right before that the credit sequence there is a cool x-ray on how the credit sequence was created and the different easter eggs that they put in like for example uh what's sticking out of the top of the barrel of pickled herrings is actual red herrings and when they go to the theater at the end there's they, they made posters for each episode so marquees and posters changed for each episode, which is really cool. And in this one, for some reason, during the little Blitz segment, uh, the theme was played by Queen guitars. So another little homage to Queen in there. I I, I just love that title. Nice. I'm going to have to go back and rewatch them all they now that I've seen each episode. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, Sam noticed that they kind of added the music from the end title sequence into the beginning title sequence at each step as you experience it in the show, was mm. what she noticed. <laughs> and so that Queen guitar ended the last episode. Oh, okay. I haven't watched all of the end credits, so okay. I'll have to check that out. So anyway, we get to the uh, we do the, the whole fight scene in the bookshop. We start off with demons walking into the circle. Um, <laughs> I find it hard to believe that you would do that when the demon in front of you just dissolved, but maybe the guys behind are pushing. Yeah. Well, or, you know, if your other option is to get zapped by Shaq, so you're like, do you take a chance this direction? Do you take a chance that one? I'm guessing a heaven zap probably feels a little better than a hell zap. It smells better. Or it's vanilla scented. Yeah, maybe it's just like I'm going to die yeah. painfully or I'm going to die more painfully. It's a merciful so. zap. <laughs> also really playing up the stupidity of demons in general in this episode. And that was a big right. part of that. Well, these are the demons who have volunteered to fight an angel. Not that smart to begin with. Right. So inherently, we know that they are really stupid demons because all of the intelligent ones stayed home, which is why there's only 70 of them. So I have I have a headcanon that demons like Muriel, because they're lower level, they don't get out much. So it's not so much that they're stupid, it's that they don't have a lot of experience with how things work in the material plane. If you never leave hell, you don't know the limitations of physical form because you've never done this before. And also, they're scared of shacks. So she says, go, they're yeah. going to go. There's also actually a reference that Crawley makes later on that he used to be an angel uh, to Muriel, reminding... Or that he would, ha, wasn't always a demon, which makes me wonder if maybe not all the demons are fallen angels, and like especially the junior ones may have just been created in hell, so they don't have it. They didn't experience that war. Practically the damp. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Shax finally says, "Like, would you stop?" <laughs> and she directs some of them to throw a bookcase down over top of the portal. So the portal apparently still works because Nina and Maggie start hosing them down and pushing them back into the beam. Who knew fire extinguishers were so effective? I get sprayed in the face by one. I'm backing up. I'm really sad the Dorringer didn't come out. I wanted to see, you know, oh. Zerfell frantically looking <laughs> through Chekhov's, his books. Chekhov's Derringer? <laughs> yeah, was that hidden in a Chekhov that, book? That Jim oh, has so. refiled somewhere. <laughs> and, Azaraphale has to remember what the first sentence of the book is to find it. <laughs> Most likely it started with an I. That section's just huge. It, man, it is just... It, yeah. <laughs> the fire extinguishers on the ground floor run out of uh, fuel, so they retreat to the top floor where there are apparently even more fire extinguishers. Shax tries her taunting on Azaraphale. Are you Crowley's emotional support angel? I figure Zerfil has been through worse in heaven, so doesn't really phase him. Yeah, heaven seems like they're really good at the passive-aggressive bullshit. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so Nina and Maggie, uh, again, run the extinguishers run out, and they're like, can we throw books? I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> Encyclopedias! <laughs> and so... Everything's online these days anyway. So they're throwing down stacks of encyclopedias on the demon's heads, and every single stack they throw down, Zerfel goes, ah! <laughs> My books! Well, as, as, 
As if throwing a book is actually going to damage the book for the most part. Most of those encyclopedias are going to pick up just fine after bouncing right. off the head of a demon. The bigger issues. Oh, it's all covered with the fire extinguisher. Foam. Yeah, it stuffs oh, a bitch to get out. Do? Yeah, it's going to degrade the paper. Well, everything on the fo- bottom floor is covered in that. He wasn't screaming during that moment. True. That's probably a minor miracle to remove. But he'll foam. always know it was there. they finally run out of books and out of fire extinguishers and azurfel pulls out the big gun apparently halos are like personal grenade devices that looked painful he did a lot of grunting and groaning when he was yep it especially even how crowley uh, referred to it later i don't think it's a trick you can do more than once oh i hadn't even thought of that because he says, you blew up your halo, or, or something yeah. like that. But it, it, it sounded to me like that's your one, you know, this last ditch. This is what you do. Ace in the hole. Kind of like how bees, you, like once they sting you, they're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not so much that uh, it damages the angel, but it's you have one halo and it, you never get a new one. Right. I'm sure God could issue you a new one, but not easily. Yeah. And also it requires God. Yeah, maybe God can issue the new ones and God's gone. So. Or maybe you get them from the quartermaster and they're not in speaking terms. So what I'm hearing is all angels are walking around with a personal tactical nuke in their head. Seems like. Yeah. 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 Kind of. Does that seem off brand? Doesn't that make them actually members of the suicide squad? Hey. No, because they don't die from doing it. Oh, yeah. That's, no. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> so I'm just picturing this whole case of halos uh, <laughs> up in heaven with a whole bunch of uh, foam insert spots cut out of it. To keep them stable so that they don't go off by mistake. <laughs> I just love the fact that Frisbee golf is part of their training. <laughs> <laughs> Disc golf. That's disc golf. They aren't frisbees. They're discs. You ever have a conversation with a disc golf player? Yes, you ever have a conversation with a disc ball player? I use pie pans in mine. <laughs> they will take you to task. Have you ever heard the term ball golf? Oh, you mean ball golf? golf? Yeah, but they call it ball golf because ultimate golf is disc golf. They're 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 fanatics. They're fanatics. That is so weird. Yes, it is. Eric pokes the halo with his toe and that's apparently what sets it off you'd think he would know better no he is now wasn't he just he, disincorporated yes, by shacks yes. so he is died he if you remember quick. four that's times? the same one that there yeah. were three versions of in that scene i yeah. think it was with Hastur, where he destroys two of them that he just comes true. back <laughs> that's true there's a theory that they have a few in the back there's pocket. a theory that he is legion you know there's a demon named legion mm. that um possesses somebody yeah. We are many. It makes sense that his animal icon is a rabbit, because there's always more of them. True. They multiply. <laughs> That's true. true. Meanwhile, <laughs> up in heaven, Crowley comes barreling out of the elevator going, all right, where's your office? Let's go. Let's go. And he has this entire conversation with Muriel about um, how angels are like bees, because once you're in there, they never notice you. And to prove it, he changes his appearance. So he's wearing this like beige, satin, shiny tracksuit. I don't have words for this wardrobe. I really don't. Like, it looks like he's wearing sandals, maybe. (laughs) 
Uh-huh. Yep. Yes, he was. I, we, we actually rewound to double check because we thought he might be wearing sandals with socks, but he was just wearing <laughs> sandals with, with bare feet. So, yeah, which is somehow slightly better. I feel that is Crowley's interpretation of what he thinks of what angels wear. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth. This is how ridiculous you it's all It's worth look. the slightly increased chance of getting caught just to diss your wardrobe choices while I'm up here. He's he's got this little bit of gold <laughs> lame over his his tattoo. Yeah, his tattoo goes gold. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One thing I noticed about that outfit was the hairband he was wearing to hold his hair back. He wore that same look through uh, when he was doing staged during the lockdown. Okay, I still need to watch that. There were that. Several, several episodes where he had a hairband in his hair like that. And being a person who's had long hair for many periods of my life, I know that when you're just sitting around at home or whatever, yeah, you want that out of your friggin' face and you don't care if it's just a stupid hairband holding it back. And I feel like that was a personal David Tennant touch because we've already seen it in his personal life Interesting. Before. That little uh, shimmy he does after he changes his outfit <laughs> makes him very out of place. Because <laughs> he changes his whole walk after that, too. True. Yeah, the, the walk makes of, him stand out. He kind of prances yeah. after that. <laughs> need to walk like an angel. Yeah. So they get to her office. Muriel's office is this big empty space with a desk. I kind of get the impression that everyone's office is a big empty space because there don't appear to be any walls in heaven inside yeah. the building. Yeah. It's just a big open concept. Like an infinitely big open. Infinite, well, it's infinitely big. I think in one of the scenes you could see in the background Jim Carrey and Morgan Freeman filming uh, <laughs> Bruce Almighty. <laughs> the same area. The conversation Crowley has with her where he says something about, you know, it feels like it would be lonely. Just like, well, every couple hundred years somebody comes and asks me for something. And I love her uh, her observation. I'm going to get in so much trouble in his reply. Well, then let's make it worth it. Might as well go for it. She pulls up the file. You're going to play. Play. She pulls up the file on Gabriel. She can't open it. You have to be a throne or a dominion above or above. Crowley can open it, which means that when he was an angel. He was pretty high level. He was, he was, yes. he was pretty high ranking. He was a throne or a, I don't Wait. know what the hierarchy is in Good Omens. It's different than the hierarchies I've seen written down. This does lend credence to Madeline's theory in in one of the previous the, episodes that he may actually he might be, be the Lucifer. Morning star. Yeah. Yep. There, yes. There's a couple of other references in in this episode that I think support that, and like I'm I've now I'm now convinced that Madeline is right. That makes it an interesting thing with how often like he answers what Satan would or would not like. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It also makes it the end of the episode even more interesting because now you have the top demon and the top angel are the in love with one another just like right just like not to jump ahead and spoil anything i i sure hope so yeah if they're listening to this episode they should have already watched the episode they shouldn't be watching it with the episode yeah so like one of the things that i am reminded of is um Neil's interpretation it was i think it was Neil's interpretation of lucifer in sandman where he quits yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. He's like, I don't want to be the boss of of hell. Like, I'm, I, you know, right. I'm just going to go on Earth and be boring, um, and turn myself into David Tennant. Yeah. Like, who wouldn't? Right. Yeah. I'm sensing a theme. The other thing we get from this scene is that heaven never changes their passwords. <laughs> so they're 
So many companies. Security so many companies. officers uh, must have fallen. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they lost their entire internet security. <laughs> wait, wait a minute. You're saying you're saying IT all went well, to hell. IT is hell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I can't yeah. imagine that. That I, doesn't I stand by that statement. No, no. Actually, that does track. <laughs> yeah. That tracks entirely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The hell's it seems like hell's computer systems were invented shortly before computer systems were invented in the real world, much like instant cameras and such. And then they never developed them beyond that. Yeah, they just made the prototypes and stuck with them. Yeah, that's the magic of human ingenuity: is to take the demon created thing and manipulate it and make it better. <laughs> no, humans are going to invent. You can it. make money with this. Here, I'll give you this. You'll make money. We have already established that uh, hell is the source of the internet. And that yes. Al Gore is a demon. So you know. Hell is the source of also patents, and so they respect Earth patents as well. Ooh. <laughs> yep, yep. I could see that. I could see Furfur working in a patent office somewhere. <laughs> Isn't that where Furfur was working? More or less. It's either a patent sure. office or a DMV, I'm not sure. <laughs> Curly gets to watch the meeting with the archangels where the next apocalypse is being planned. And I get the same feeling from this scene that I got from Aziraphel planning the ball, that they've kind of lost the main plot and they've gotten so caught up in this idea of a plan to destroy the earth, they forgot why they were doing that in the first place. And Gabriel says no. To yeah, focus it, on the war, right? Like, that's the only important thing at this point. Yeah. Right. What use are we if we can't do the thing we were sent to do, which is destroy the Earth at this point? Yep. In the original apocalypse, the Earth was just the staging ground for the war with hell. Killing it was something that was Classical going damage. to... Yeah, it was going to happen because of the war, but it yeah. wasn't the main point. But, and like you're saying, they lost the main point. They got focused on, next step, destroy Earth. Yep. Not what steps follow it. it the next step is destroy. Oh, they stopped us from destroying Earth. Now we need a new plan to destroy Earth. They're stuck. They're like a Roomba, right? Yeah. So they're like just, just bouncing off up that. against the wall. <laughs> yes. Gabriel says no, which like the first time I watch this, and I'm like, this is extremely out of character for Gabriel, which is exactly how Crowley reads it. What the hell? Any idea? This was right? the beginning of mm -hmm. David's mouth being open that stayed open like the entire rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> like, what? No way. The hell? The heaven? Although the more he does that, the more he turns into Bill Nighy. <laughs> yeah. He becomes more and more Bill Nighy when he starts making that face. Nah, nah. I want to see some some movie needs to happen where they play father and son. I would love to. See. Ooh, yeah. I I just want to see that from an act actor's perspective. Yeah. Like, yeah, like so the on board. Angel Seraquiel shows up, and uh, she's an interesting character because she basically says, you're not supposed to be here. Um, Muriel allowing you to be here is a major fuck-up, but let's let's finish this. Let's let this play out. But since you're here, since I mean, Since this yeah, can yeah. of worms is yeah. open, let's see how these worms taste. Yeah. Right, because they don't know why Gabriel did that either. So Heaven wants to know why Ooh, as well. And if Crowley can figure it out, all the better for them. See, I got the sense more that she was on Gabriel's side on everything and that she was just too afraid or, or didn't want to flow against the crowd. And so having more of that go out allows her to just kind of let her opinion be known or be able to float to Gabriel's side on the opinion. Maybe it's just me. I can't picture Seraquiel being afraid of much. That's true. <laughs> And when they were discussing Armageddon, she had this look on her face that was sort of ecstatic. Everybody's saying, you know, Armageddon, yes. And she's just, you know, her eyes kind of roll back like she's 
just so ecstatic with the idea. Um, My only hesitation for making it canon is the idea that I, I, I always feel so bad for the person who's like supporting somebody and that person doesn't remember their name. <laughs> so like that will make me feel extra bad if she's just been in Gabriel's corner. He's like, and you are. Um, right, uh, right. Like that, that makes me really sad. So My take on that is that heaven is also looking for Gabriel. They have been so far unsuccessful. Crowley is here investigating Gabriel. So let's see what he comes up with. Yeah, that was I don't um, as well. You know, the angels have all the power in this situation. They could trap Crowley or hurt him while he's in heaven. So what they do could, they have to lose? They, they could, could arrest, arrest him. him. Well, I, and mm-hmm. I suppose it could be that she's afraid of um, Crowley. If if he is Lucifer, that would lend credence to that. She remembers him. She knows who he was when he was an angel. Yeah. So actually, yeah, there's a the thing, too. Maybe uh, Crowley's a little bit intimidating because of who he used to be. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to defy him, so she just kind of lets him do whatever. So then we get the trial scene. Gabriel is convicted of abandonment of duty. I find it interesting Gabriel got a trial and Aziraphale did not. This one, they're going by the book. The difference is is that Gabriel is their boss. Right. Right. So they... they So it's more of an impeachment. Yeah. I also, I'm not opposed to the idea that they just had a trial without... Is there a failed there? Like they yeah. do totally seem like the types yeah. who would had their whole argument and everything. Okay, trial's done. Well, he didn't get to. Yeah, we know. We know he didn't get to testify. That's fine. We're fine with it. Everybody vote. Yeah, yep. we're good. Well, they were fine on erasing his memory when he was no longer there. So yeah, yeah. Which yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the line, the line that really stuck out for me is uh, when he's convicted and Gabriel is saying, "Oh well, I guess going to hell." I'll take my punishment <laughs> because, you know, he's going to, as we find out later, it's because he figures he's going to go there to be with Beelzebub. The Metatron says, um, you're not going to hell for one prince of heaven to be thrown into the outer darkness makes a good story. Two would make it look like there is some kind of institutional problem and we can't have that. <laughs> and that line stuck out in my head because it's the second time you hear it. Gabriel says it earlier. If it's in there twice, it's significant. And I have mm-hmm. a lot of thoughts about mm-hmm. this, which I'm going to bring up later. This, to me, is another reference of Crawley is Lucifer. And that's who they're talking about. So instead, they're going to demote him to the lowest position heaven has. Which is one below Muriel. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know there was which a lower one position. Below Muriel. And, and we're, but we're going to make it merciful for you. We're going to make you forget everything about your past life. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that's their merciful option. Right. Mercy. Mercy. I don't think so. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. So Gabriel actually does something clever. He uses his clothes as a distraction and says, oh, well, I'm off to go clean out my desk. And he gets a box and disappears. He must have this plan for a while or Beelzebub came up with it or something because he is not that smart. (laughs) Well, we see her give him the fly later. So, I mean, we know that he had that in the matchbox. It was part of a plan before he went into that moment of mm-hmm. yeah. And, and so with he what probably... he wrote on the back of the box, yeah, that was that was not a spur of the moment thing. That was this was a planned like get out, mm-hmm. which kind of also fits because um, clearly, as we learn later, he's he's no longer feeling the desire to be to be like the boss of heaven. 
going to Azeraphel was obviously not part of the plan because yep. that part, the fact that uh, Basilbub did not know mm-hmm. and was looking for him is kind of like the, oh, this did not go exactly according to plan because he forgot. Well, I figure this is something that he must have come up with when they, when he found out he was going to be going through a trial. Mm-hmm. Okay, so best case scenario, they send me to hell, um, but I better have a backup plan just in case. Yep. And then there's this whole sequence where they realize that he's gone. They can't find him. And one of them says, should we should we sound an alert? And Metatron says, no, they don't want this to be done publicly where all the angels know that somebody left. They'll just wipe his memory while he's not in the room. They'll do it remotely. It's too late. He's already gone. But I just found it interesting also that there's this whole, we will not tell the angels that somebody ran away. You don't leave heaven. Mm-hmm. You know, Aziraphale was disappeared very quietly, like no, none of the other angels were supposed to know about it. Now that they're going to do the same thing with Gabriel, they're going to wipe his memories and stick him in a corner somewhere where no one ever visits him. And everything happens very privately and behind high walls. So then the alarm goes off. Aziraphale's halo explosion sets off an alarm in heaven. It declares war. <clears throat> declares war on hell, apparently. Must be a really uncomfortable place to be during the war if a lot of those are going off all the time. Yeah. Well, it feels like it's tied into the system. If you use your halo, it will declare war. Like, that's apparently part of the feature. That's why it's a last resort. So it, it that does make me wonder if they just have alarms set up in Aziraphale's bookshop. Like, if <laughs> all miracles of that size set off alarms or just ones that you know, come from places you don't expect them to, or if they specifically have smoke oh, alarms like all over the outside of Aziraphale's bookshop. Well, after well, season also, one. It is an embassy, so. It could also be that it's like if an angel burns a halo and they're not at war, it's a red alert because so it's, it's like a big deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if if yeah. you see a nuke go off somewhere, you're like, that's not something that's supposed to happen. I think that, I think we might be at war yep. with somebody. <laughs> Unless you're right. in the horrible group who it did know it was going to happen. <laughs> Because that's, I think, with the miracles, especially if somebody's performing a miracle of that level, they probably know about it. So it's very similar when uh, when you're shooting a, a movie or a TV show where you have to have gunshots. You have to let the police know exactly how many gunshots are going to go off, and you let them know when they're about to go off, so that they can literally count the gunshots and go, "Okay, we've had the right amount," so it can never be used to cover another gunshot. Oh, that's clever. So the alarm goes off in heaven. Crowley goes, ah, oh, let's get back there. And and everybody just follows him. Like, he gives an order and everybody runs after him. He always acts like he knows what he's doing, even when he doesn't. So people just kind of, it's very much the same uh, strategy as Doctor Who. You just act like you're in charge. Everybody mm-hmm. just kind of goes, well, he seems to know what he's doing. I'm going to roll with this. Carry a clipboard and a bag of ice and you can get in anywhere. Generally, he does know what he's doing. More so than anybody else. I mean, he does true. not, but, you know, compared to everybody else, he's still got, you know, <laughs> more, more clued than in than clue. heaven yeah. or hell. And you get this wonderful scene in the elevator where, they're, as they're going down, his um, all the angels are on one side of the wall and he's on the other side of the wall by himself. They're all just staring at him. And then his. Uh, his regular clothes, kind of like it's almost like he, as the elevator goes down, he sinks into his regular clothes. I, I love this elevator because I had a realization as soon as he and Muriel got into the first time. Like it's the same elevator that Shax got mm-hmm. off of. Oh yeah, 
So it's both the elevator to hell and to heaven at it's the same time. It's only got time. three buttons. And then you notice that it has three yep. buttons. One for Earth, one, one for one, hell, one blue, for Blue, green one, and a red one at the bottom. Yep. Yep. So the other thought on that is, if you think about the other angels on that elevator, when in all of the millennia they've been around, have they been this close to a demon? Their mm. jobs don't take them close to demons. Not since the war. That, exactly. True. It's been a while. <laughs> so yeah. I think all of them are like, I don't remember. Do they blow up? I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> this one's venomous. <laughs> he is part snake. Yep. Yep. That's that. So everybody gathers together back in the bookshop. Crowley goes running in the front door. The angels are shortly behind him. And then the demons pop up. These specific demons were not invited. Dagon, Beelzebub, and Furfur. I'm not sure why Furfur's there. I think possibly because he was in charge of sending the 70 demons that helped Jax. I couldn't figure it out either. Well, because, yeah, he's the HR guy, right? And this is an HR thing because you've got all of these demons up on Earth. And the other thing I feel is the explainer of why they can get in is the fact that this is the site where war was declared. Mm -hmm. That means that heaven and hell can report to the site and deal with whatever is happening. The halo summoned everybody or made it at least able for people to go there. It's it's a war zone, so it's not protected of anybody. DMZ kind of thing. So they had this great scene where like the demons and the angels are both like, if we're at war, if we're going to be at war, and Crowley's like, no, 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 no war. He's trying to talk everybody down. And Muriel's in the background picking up books and starting to leaf through them. <laughs> she, she is possibly my favorite character. She's yes. adorable. Yeah. <laughs> so I just want to give a shout out to the person who did Dagon's makeup. Because it she looks, looks amazing. I, mm-hmm. I, if... I want to figure out how to do that and like go out as Dagon for Halloween because that's astoundingly good makeup. So the demons and the angels are both talking about wo- about war and Crowley's like, no, 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 no. So one of the things that, that like I've said this before, one of the ways that Crowley gets away with doing things is he talks really, really fast. He shouts orders at people. He moves really fast. A lot of the times I think he gets away with things because everybody else is still trying to catch up. Which is so very Doctor, Doctor Who. Who. And so he starts saying, no, no, we're going to sort this all out. Where's the box? So they find the box. He flips it over and they see the writing. Can we talk about what's in the box? It looks like a lot of stuff from previous episodes. Uh, well, actually, it, it looks like these are some unpublished or at least lost uh, Shakespeare plays, including the comedy of Robin Hood. The excellent conceited, an excellent conceited tragedy called Gold Diggers of 1589, which is a nice little reference to a lot of the uh, these review shows, these vaudeville review shows that would run on Broadway during the uh, the vaudeville era, where it was sort of an all star review of acts that were big hits on the vaudeville circuit. They would put them together in this, they'd call them like the Gold Digger Review and Ziegfeld Follies and things like that, and they would. But on these shows, they filmed a few of them. There are a few films. I think one of them, you know, was nominated or won Best Picture or something uh, back in the back in the 30s. So it's a uh, it's a nice little showbiz shout out, little bit of trivia there. Nice. And Crowley turns the box over and dumps it all on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get the whole sequence with Beelzebub calling the fly 
and passing it over to Gabriel. She's very sweet with her flies. Sorry, they are very sweet with their flies. They speak affectionately to the fly, tell it it's perfect. Give it back to Gabriel, and then we get the scene where the fly goes in Gabriel's eye. I could live without that one. Just yeah. No. <laughs> just oh saying. yes. Oh man. That that was Oof. pretty hideous. I think I I closed my eyes at at, at the peak point because I get really sensitive about eye stuff. And then we go through Gabriel's memories as he remembers things. The very first one is from season one, the airfield in Tadfield, where Beelzebub and Gabriel have their first conversation since the war. Imagine going back and telling 10 million demons that they have to go back to work. The next scene, they meet in a pub. So I was trying to figure out where this pub is. There's a hammer and sickle mm-hmm. in the window. Yeah, that's, that is odd. And it looks like, um, what's the name of the script that they Cyrillic. use? In Cyrillic. Cyrillic? Yeah. In My feeling is like they keep drawing back from other things referenced in the show. So if there ever was a you know Russian pub that they went into, that's probably it. But uh, you know this was set in the in the ninety or the sorry the early two thousands or mid two thousands uh, season one was so why would they still have the hammer and sickle so it could maybe it's a, it's a theme pub could well could be a theme be. pub in yeah. London something similar to the um, remember it was that, a, a that, Russian um, themed. Um, Vodka bar in vodka Las Vegas bar. when we were there. Yes, right. And in Toronto, there used to be Ilyich's post-Leninist saloon, which was full of uh, like communist regalia, memorabilia, and such. And Nina's coffee shop is American themed, yeah. so that's conceivable. Sure. Yeah, true. So I they they had this conversation about if we're going to be doing back channel talks, we can't do it in our own home turf. I assume this is where they set up the arrangement to exchange the holy water and the the hellfire and uh they commiserate over there you know how, how hard their jobs are and uh, gabriel says oh well it's too bad we'll probably never see each other again he says that every time next pub <laughs> this, this would have to be after the after the trials because i think they have their new face on in that scene oh yeah good point yep. so it couldn't yep. it couldn't be before the holy water good point so yeah so they go to another pub and have the how about we don't have Armageddon conversation? It'll have to be a secret just between the two of us. This is a completely different bar. And once again, they say, well, discussion agreement concluded. Too bad we'll never see each other again. And you imagine that they do this all the time. They get together and they have a conversation. They say, well, guess we mm-hmm. never have any reason to ever talk to each other again. <laughs> you know, see you next time. <laughs> oh, look, a reason. <laughs> Which I can kind of understand, like, you've got basically eternity of never having a peer, and you finally met someone who is a peer, and they Mm -hmm. have a shared history, they have a shared goal, you know, they have a shared point in existence, so it all They get together and complain about their incompetent underlings and their, you know, rebellious Mm -hmm. angel slash demon. Yep, and how you can't get the help these days. (laughs) So something else I was seeing through this sequence is the the change in personality between of both of them. So we talked mm-hmm. in like probably the very first episode where Siobhan's issues with uh, Beelzebub's attitude. Now we know what happened and why they are acting the way they they're, are. They're, they're is because Beelzebub <laughs> has been changed by by this love story, and I kind of think that we said we didn't think her Gabriel. We said that Gabriel wasn't intelligent enough to come up with this plan. 
I think he was, but his like pompacity, his um, pride was getting in the way of the intelligence. And once that love story breaks through that pride, he can now experience his full intelligence and come flush out these plans and, and become a different Gabriel. I, I guess it's true that if you are the boss of everything, you don't really have to use um, cleverness to get anything done. You just give orders. Delegation. Yep. Yeah. And now he has to figure out how to do something that he's not supposed to do. And his, he, yeah. he's, he's dating. So now he has to use his God-given <laughs> dating, intelligence. You know, the Lord of the Flies, someone who is probably pretty clever. Yeah, and I also see why the production team chose a different actor for Beelzebub. Because if you look at like the, the facial expression, the acting style, just in general, the look of the two actors, it's hard to see a sweetness level on the original Beelzebub actor. So according to the... Um the 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 x-ray the reason that they recast was because the original actor um is in a pl- was in a play somewhere else and wasn't available well i, I liked my head cannon anyway but it's, <laughs> yeah. i think it still works honestly i, I yeah. have no doubt that a good the, actor the changing... could, could pull it off yeah. oh sure yeah so the next meeting they do is with the statue in the cemetery where, in Glasgow. Yeah. In the cemetery where Crowley was like, I bet he just stands here for hours and looks at it. And what do you know? Greg, I do want it to correct Edinburgh. you. It's in Edinburgh. Yes. I, I caught that as soon as yeah. I said but it. You do not want to get that in Glasgow mixed no. up. That, no, no, no. That's, that's, yeah, the, the locals no, 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 take no. exceptions. Yes. yes. <laughs> it is Edinburgh. As you can tell, when they walk into the, the next pub and the first song they play is by the Proclaimers. Which is one of uh, David Tennant's favorite bands and uh, a song mm-hmm. that he routinely sings in uh, karaoke. Yep, that's in the x-ray. <laughs> mm, I know. <laughs> that's where I got that from. I, I'm not a... so it'd be beautiful if he was singing it on that particular tape. <laughs> right? I just realized that the bartender thinks that Beelzebub is a mason. Yes! I'm not sure what there is to that. <laughs> it's the sash. <laughs> That's what does it. <laughs> well, I, I still, I still think it ties into the whole existence of the statue of Gabriel. Like he went and posed, and the uh, the sculptor was a mason back in the day. You know, so it was like these sessions at the mason's lodge where he'd sit for this for the statue, and so he would occasionally pop in and hang out with with the masons. And who knows, maybe the bartender's an angel that also and has been there for hundreds of years. What what if the Masons are just different on Earth demon sanctuaries and all demons? I mean, that was more where I was going. Was demons in this world? <laughs> the Mason Lodge was the the demon um, meetup, the clubhouse kind of thing. Yeah, just just like the bookshop no, embassy is the angel embassy. Yeah, the Mason Lodge is the demon embassy. So if if this is the place where where uh, Gabriel's statue is, and this is his regular, and he brings, you can tell that he and Beelzebub are serious because he takes them to his regular. Mm-hmm. And we will have whatever you humans usually orally consume. <laughs> and, and he doesn't, he can't take him home to meet his maker, but he can't take Beelzebub home to meet his maker, but he can take him to where somebody else has made him. <laughs> I feel oh, like that is, is true. that oh. is Gabriel's version of come meet my parents. Is, come home. meet my statue. 
<laughs> yeah, it makes you wonder if they were at I the like Mason's it. Lodge next door, and uh, that's where the bartender saw them come in from. It could also be that people dressed like that are Masons in this pub. See, I'm convinced it's the sash. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's that, you know, tin pot dictator military sash that Beelzebub wears. But but it also, it's, it's, it's a woman. How, uh, you know, the Masons have traditionally been an all-male organization. You know, it's like a North Star thing for the for the female auxiliary. The do, we, auxiliary. do we know that? What's that? Do we know that Beelzebub is a woman? Well, presents that way, at least. <laughs> presents that way to Gabriel. And who this knows is true. what the bartender Noah visually is being shown to the bartender. Yes, yeah. is true. Yes, you're right. Yeah. My understanding of Beelzebub is that they are non-binary, so they could... And they can change faces, so they can look like anything they this want. This is true. Yeah. Yep. Very quantum leap. Gender doesn't mean much if you're a um, non-corporeal being. True. True. So this is a scene that explains the fly container and also explains why that jukebox only plays the one song. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a cute it's kind of a cute moment. Gabriel mm-hmm. looks at, at Beelzebub and says, No one's ever given me anything before. And there's Who another boss presence. There's another little Easter egg. The uh in the TV in the background, this is found from X-Ray. Uh, the movie that's playing is The Spirit of St. Louis with Jimmy Stewart as Charles Lindbergh. And there's a scene in there where Charles Lindbergh is over the Atlantic. He's got nobody to talk to, so he talks to a fly that's in the cockpit. Oh, nice. <laughs> it's a nice little touch. The next scene, uh, we get zapped back to the, the bookshop. One assumes that Gabriel's finished reliving. All the, all the memories have booted up. And now all of a sudden the angels can see him. Like you see Uriel and Michael and Seraquiel kind of gasp. It's not Jim anymore. It's Gabriel. Been there the whole time. Here's my question for everyone. Because this is the point where I noticed that Beelzebub's teeth were clean. And I haven't had a chance to go back and do a rewatch. But when did her teeth become... Like, were they clean in some of the meetings with Gabriel? Did it happen when she arrived at the bookstore? Like... I need to go back and watch, but I noticed her teeth are clean now. All the skin rot and and the manky teeth get stays in hell. Mm. Every scene you see where Beelzebub is on Earth, they uh, they clean up. I guess you know, fresh air and sunshine is good for demons. going on a date. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, going do we date, see her with anyone wanna... else, or do we see them with anyone else? where they're also clean and that's my question was it for gabriel you also see it in season one okay 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 when beelzebub is in hell uh they have like um skin infections all around their mouth and then when they hit earth their skin is hmm. clear mm-hmm. but like fur fur stain doesn't seem to go away so it seems to be a, Beez- a beelzebub choice to be clean coming to earth mm-hmm. i'd buy that Mm -hmm. We know that that angels and demons wear human bodies to come to Earth, that they don't necessarily have a meat suit that they're just walking around in. So maybe that they have chosen a suit that is a little less itchy. (laughs) I just like the idea that they were cleaning up for Gabriel. I like like Mm -hmm. that idea in my head. I'm sad (laughs) to find out that is not as much the truth. 
It's also possible that the higher level angels and demons have more control over their appearance when they're on Earth than the other Maybe. demons. So Furfur can't really change, but... Maybe it's a birthmark. Gabriel or Beelzebub has the ability to just kind of be whatever they want to be. Shax changes her appearance constantly. Mm -hmm. Constantly, yeah. yeah. And we basically established that Shax is a much higher level demon than the rest of them. Speaking of Shax uh, changing her appearance constantly, um, that that final form, as it were, with the spiky kind of corset mm -hmm. armor thing and, and, and the mm -hmm. bitch bangs going on and everything. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> hot damn. Have we settled on a... Rourke's Have next we settled cosplay? on an, an animal influence on that? I know we keep going between bird and different types of lizards, and peacock was mentioned at one point. Like, what have we determined? I think that I'm, I'm, was I'm a suggestion. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I don't know. The the spikes make me think like a, a spiky lizard or something at this point. Uh, Dinosaur. Um, horn, what are horn, they horn, called? Horn toad. Horny toad. Yeah. I think Rourke's the only horny toad here. What? <laughs> <laughs> just from the reaction Jeez. to the to that final form i loved watching Rurark's brain it. try and process that comment for like what <laughs> did you mean by that have, have, have I, I been insulted i don't know if i should I, say I thank know. you or fuck you <laughs> <laughs> No, I was going to say, I grew up in an area with horny toads, and I can tell you that those both parts of that name are misnomers. <laughs> They're never in the mood. You hit on a couple and they said no? Is that... It? <laughs> <laughs> how, how do you determine the first one? <laughs> I'm saying they aren't all that spiky. Got it. Got it. <laughs> They're a little rough, but they aren't particularly spiky. Moving right along. Moving <laughs> <laughs> right along, yeah. I'm not sure I want to say anything anymore. <laughs> I'm sure that'll last five minutes at most. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. More like five seconds. For the next scene, we get to the love confession, where Beelzebub says, I found something I wanted more than choosing sides. This is absolutely a shout out to... Crowley and Azurfeld's relationship. Mm -hmm. And I find it interesting that they managed to get there so quickly. It's been four years since season one. Bees and Gabriel are like, yep, fuck you guys. We're out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Singing Buddy Holly on the way out. Sam was just absolutely beaming <laughs> at this love story. Like it made her so yeah, happy. They, and they, they went for it. Now, the question of whether or not they would have been so fast if they'd not had an example set by Zerfel and Carly is another question, but they are not holding back. They're like, I am I am quitting my job and I'm taking off with my my new love. Well and Nina and Maggie Dagan. are recognizing exactly what's going on too, which is beautiful. Oh yeah, they're like, it's so sweet. It makes you believe in true love. Um oh, although when we get to Shaxx and Furfer and whatever it is that they do there at the end all of us were like now wait a minute this is way too many love stories we're done at this point nope no more i see i saw that as more of a like um now furfer has a friend in a high place and shacks has somebody who will basically when she goes back to the down, down dark council and tells the story furfer's going to mm -hmm. help her and then she yeah i think more. it's a continuation mm -hmm. of the contract they made back I, in the day yeah 
And now it's yeah. like, oh, this is your chance to talk to the Dark Cancel, and then you can be the person high up for me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we got to, because you kind of have to, because it's just way too much. But it's like, you're already in that love story mode, and then all of a sudden, it's like, what is going on with well, this? I love Dagan's reaction. Dagan just visibly gags. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially what you're saying is you were, were hoping it wasn't Amore Ex Machina, where just everybody falls in love at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think that yeah, one yeah. was more of a business arrangement kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Shax doesn't do love. No. It, it was just mm-hmm. a little touchy-feely for those two characters. There's this. Everybody in the in the room has their, their little turn at having a reaction. You know, the humans are saying, oh, that's so sweet. And... Um, the angels are like, quick, there's mortals here. Turn them into salt. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> what I found interesting was watching Aziraphale's body language the whole time during the whole conversation. There kept, there kept being shots of um, going back to Aziraphale, who would look over at Crowley and just beam at him. Mm-hmm. Like, so much affection on his face. At one point, he actually reaches out and grabs Crowley's shoulder. It's very touchy this uh, this season. So Crowley grabs the humans and hustles them out of the room before the angels can turn them into pillars mm-hmm. of salt. He also orders the angels not to, and they listen to him. Well, like I said, he's moving fast. He's a fast-moving target. That's, that's <laughs> true. That could be your, your fast-moving theory. But shouting with great authority, nope, nope, I'm taking care of this, I'm taking care of this, and he goes to Azurafel, you've got this, right? And hustles them out it, the door. It had very similar feelings to me of him walking in as the Shuite. In the job scene of like, (laughs) very similar vibes of nobody ever turning like, what the hell is a shoeite doing here? I don't understand. Like they're just like, oh okay, he's I guess a person who knows about the birthing of babies. He's making a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He's got everybody's attention on him. (laughs) He's just gonna. It's it's all of the uh, it's yeah it's misdirection. It's the same things that Aziraphale learned from uh, from the Hoff. Uh, but Crowley actually could do oh, it the entire time. Good connection there. Yes, it's a magic trick. You get keep them distracted and not looking at what you don't want them to look at, and they'll never yep. see the trick. And then don't tell like them it. how it's done, as we get uh, a little bit later. Yeah. So when Crowley gets them outside, Nina realizes that her coffee shop is supposed to be open, and she runs and opens it up. Maggie offers to help, and that's when you first see the Metatron standing in the lineup. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'll just again note that uh, Metatron is played by Derek Jacobi, who was the master uh-huh. in Doctor Who, where the first master in New Who. Tradition of playing bad guys. <laughs> I think he was also, if I remember correctly, I think he was also crossing the street when uh, when Crowley was taking the ladies out. I believe he was amongst the people. And then oh, he gets he? in line okay. at, at, at Nina's place. Huh. The thing that popped back into my head when um, they were setting up the coffee was when Nina and Maggie have their conversation in episode one, where Nina says, remember when we were teenagers and we could stay up all night? Probably not battling demons, but, you know. And apparently Nina is capable of that, but... Oh, and I just, we do see the scene later where Maggie's asleep on her desk. Yeah, yeah, Maggie's not yeah, quite capable yeah. of it anymore. Uh, I just looked up Derek Jacobi's IMDb. 
Uh, Derek Jacoby also played Erasmus Fry in Sandman. Okay. Oh, we have our first crossover. That's right. Yeah. So he's just a nasty person in all of his characters, mm-hmm. which, which is awesome. a big shift from his um, first big role, which is Claudius in I Claudius, mm-hmm. where he is the narrator and closest thing to a nice person in a story of Roman Empire. Um, Deceit, trickery, and murder. Not being the worst Roman emperor is not a high bar to cross. Okay, oh, absolutely not. No, no, yeah. no, not at all. Um, he has that look, that archetype of the unassuming grandpa who's secretly freaking evil. Like he, he could be that. Like, oh no, I'm just the nice guy. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> So I'm not sure what happened to Mr. Brown the previous evening, where he ended up, but Crowley is able to, like, pull him back, and he's standing in the lineup, and that's where you get that line, never show him how it's done. Yep. And his clipboard with the uh, the, the paper about the Nebraska woman take, teaching the duck to play accordion is still, or what's left of it, is still Yeah, I was going to say, it's missing, like, bites out of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> So I guess demons are a little fuzzy on the concept of where the person part ends. <laughs> Could be. By Could that be. part! <laughs> Could very well be. Does this so hurt humans? the best way humans? to defend yourself from ah. is just have a lot of shit on. <laughs> One other Easter egg in the, uh, in, in the opening credits is there is a duck playing accordion somewhere in there. Oh, really? Yes. I'm going to have to go hunting for that. <laughs> Check out the x-ray. It's fantastic. So we go back to the bookstore. Everybody's shouting. Azurafel <laughs> loses his shit. <laughs> and then bangs the bell and says, you will talk one at a time. And you can see Crowley's face in the window looking in at him. <laughs> he just gets his biggest smile on his face. It's like, my angel's ready to throw down. I love it. <laughs> Bees and Gabriel basically fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Crowley starts talking to Shax about he wants his apartment back. The important things in life. The important right. things in life. Azurafel yep. stares adoringly at Crowley. Because <laughs> his car doesn't want him living yeah. in the car <laughs> <That's> anymore. <laughs> Bentley, Bentley has, has told me to move And, and I think, you know, like the, the, the plants likely would like the, a bit of extra space. Yeah. It's a little need to grow. Yeah, Bentley probably has mm-hmm. a lot of time to talk to the plants. Stretch yeah. their leaves, yeah. you know. The Bentley's definitely not as mean to the plants as Crowley is. And Furfur and, and, and Shax make their little deal about, you know, I will help you and you will help me. So then we get to the scene where Metatron's ordering the coffee. And there's this interesting interaction with Nina where he says, do people ever choose death? He ends that conversation by saying, so predictable. Like, that's a bad thing. And I just find it like an interesting glimpse into the, the very, we haven't seen his interaction with Aziraphale yet. Mm-hmm. Already, we've got reservations about mm-hmm. this dude. And that's just a little glimpse into you know it does to learn it, about him the name of that shop has for this entire series reminded me of the eddie Izzard routine cake or death yeah. cake or death, cake or death. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so then he walks into the bookshop and nobody recognizes him because he's not a big floating head except for crowley who's probably more situationally aware than most of the people in this room hey I'm- what <laughs> oh, oh, you're talking to the people in the, the bookshop. People in the bookshop. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, okay. <laughs> just, uh, just demonstrating my lack of situational yes. awareness. <laughs> <laughs> Was I the only person who didn't take that one personally? Yeah, really. Like, wait, oh. 
He's mean to the angels, which like whatever, they're assholes, who cares? Chases them all out. The point where I decided I did not like this guy. This is the point where I called her dim. The point where I decided I didn't like him is when he called Muriel Mm -hmm. dim. You, the dim one. He put her in a fucking sensory deprivation tank for 6,000 years. And then he accuses her of being dim. That got my back up in a big way. Yeah. There's this little scene that plays out where he gives Az the coffee and Azurfil's not sure if he should take it. And then they, you know, go out for the walk. They spent a lot of time on that. I think it's important. I'm going to go into why later. But the whole, like, I am giving you a coffee. And he says, you know, I have consumed things in my time. So Crowley says, yeah, sure. They can't get any weirder, which I think is hilarious because the promotion for one of our previous episodes is this might as well happen. They can't get any weirder. Yeah. <laughs> you look at our Instagram. <laughs> and then when they leave, when they're walking out, Aziraphale walks out the door first. Metatron is trailing behind him and he turns around and looks at Crowley and gives him this really intense glare. And you hear the ominous horns for just a brief moment when he's staring at Crowley. Another hint that this is, this is not a good guy. I notice everybody's getting quieter as we get closer and closer to the hard bits. We're not ready to unload exactly how we feel about all of this just yet in the telling. Yeah, Yeah, I I think the the statement girding your loins is is coming into bearing here. There's a lot of loin girding happening. There's a lot of loin girding going on. Rourke mentioned in another podcast another time, and then the episode ends. Crowley tells Muriel they're going out for an alcoholic breakfast. Next thing you know, they're at the Ritz. <laughs> no, we're done. And scene. And a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square is still playing. Yeah. So you see him kind of poking around the bookstore, cleaning up, putting the walls back and, and you know, covering, covering up the, the circle. portal. It was, it was so cute that he knew exactly where everything needed to be and that had to be just so for Aziraphale because he knew that the... The bookshop is the bookshop. So then you get the scene where Nina and Maggie come in to talk to him. And I found it interesting that because Crowley was there by himself, they just had the conversation with him. They start off by giving him shit about the fact that they were being manipulated. But most of that was actually Aziraphale, Mm -hmm. who isn't in the room. Yeah, but from their perspective, they don't know that, right? (laughs) Like That's they fair. just see both of them also, together. Also, the more the more directly interactive has been Crowley. Crowley's this the one who kind of kept nodding to Nina, look over at the other store. Crowley's the one that did the rainstorm. Like both he he's been he's played his share, and some yes. of it was yeah, directly to them in fair. conversation. Yes. He's, he's the one who showed up to make sure that they were both at the meeting. and he, put, he, seemed, he seemed to be the one who actually talked to them more face-to-face. Right. So they're kind of like, okay, you're the face of this plan, so we're going to yell at you. Right. Even if you weren't the organizer. Mm-hmm. And also, there are, from their point yeah. of view, they're a couple. So he's kind of a, they're, they're assuming that the two talk Which to each other. Which is not a good assumption to make. <laughs> <laughs> and in fact, they're giving him shit because they're like, you guys need to talk to each other. You don't tell each other like how you feel or what you think. Mm-hmm. So the mortals lecture the 6,000 years on earth, you know, Demon. infinite age entity <laughs> about how to sort out his shit. Damn it. <laughs> Here's how you be a good person, demon. Well, so do you think they figured out that he's a demon in all of that? 
Oh, yeah. Because but the reason why I ask is I know they could tell who was demons and who was angels, but Azeraphale and Crowley both are kind of like, I'm not exactly sure what side you're on. Mm-hmm. And he was doing something nice for them, even if it was being manipulative and trying to do it. Well, there was the whole like interaction with the demons at the bookshop that um, Nina and Maggie definitely were kind of more on the ball and figuring out what was going on than anyone else who was there. Yeah, I think Nina and Maggie pretty much know everything yeah. at this there, point. There's yeah. one little bit of the interaction that I love, and it's it, we had talked previously about sort of the parallel between Maggie and Nina and Aziraphale and Crowley. When Nina is telling Crowley, uh, when I'm ready for a relationship, I hope they'll be, I, I hope she'll be there, but there isn't any guarantee. And Maggie just goes, yeah, yeah, there is a guarantee. I'll, I'll <laughs> And Nina responds, you're not helping, Angel. I loved that. I loved I that. I yeah. the moment she said that. That was so cool. Yep. I loved that. They leave just as uh, Zerfell is returning. Metatron and Muriel are outside waiting around. And then we have the worst conversation in the world. <laughs> right. Crowley starts trying to tell Zerfell how he feels. Zerfell says, I'm going to stop you because I have this incredible news the incredible news is, is that metatron offered him a job the job which was easy to see a mile away i think and they have a fight about it and and crowley's like tell me you said no tell me you said no and Israel's like but if i'm in charge i could fix it i can make things better so in the scenes where you see Israel actually talking to metatron initially he does say no he says, well, I don't want to go back to heaven. Where would I get my coffee? Yeah, but that's not the, the lead position. Right. That's that's not the reason he wants to stay. But Metatron obviously knows that and says, well, if you come back, you could bring Crowley with you. Played the ultimate bargaining chip for him. Yes, because as we know, he cares about Crowley more than anything. You think Metatron knows that there's no way Crowley is going to come with him? Oh, yeah. Because I get the sense that, especially if our theory is correct about him being... Um, Satan that or Lucifer it, or Lucifer sure. Lucifer because uh, we Satan we know is <laughs> yeah big red star who <laughs> doesn't really talk is, is Satan the Wizard yeah. of Oz green head and it's always been Crowley behind the curtain <laughs> <laughs> not with the fear look on their face True. in that scene from season one but anyway I, I get the sense or I don't think Metatron would have wanted him to be restored to heaven. So it's almost like he knows that that's not going to be what happens, even if it gets offered. I feel that leans back to that line of so predictable. I think Metatron knows people's motivations. And when offers are made, it's based in the idea that he knows what you're going to choose. He's going to he make the seeming points. idea of choice, but he has worded in a way that you're not going to. He knows the, mm-hmm. the, the plan is in place. Everything is going to work out fine Yeah, for him. He's, he's studied yeah. humans. He definitely has. As much as he knows about the uh, the angelic frame of mind, he's consumed things before. He's been to Earth. He knows how, how humans are. He sees that they've gone native. They've got very human emotions. They can be manipulated just as easily. So then we get to Crowley's kind of love confession. I want to spend... And you see him actually tear up. Like, holy shit, David Tennant's acting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Both of yeah. them, really. In this whole scene. It could be just the two of us. It could be us. And they, you see this. 
they go back and forth where Crowley is saying, you know, be with us, run, run away with me. And Aziraphale is saying, come back with me. And they're both pulling in opposite directions. And it's the bandstand all over again. Mm-hmm. Crowley wants to run away and say, you know, fuck both sides. And Aziraphale is like, he's still, there's nowhere to run to. He's still team Come with me and help me fix things. Yeah. And that's always been the te- like the friction yeah. between in their relationship, right? Azurafel never left heaven, and Crawley rejected heaven and hell because he he realized the abusive relationship that he was in with with both sides. Uh, and Azurafel's still stuck in the there is a good side and yeah. a bad side. Well, and to a certain extent, in the mm-hmm. in the abusive relationship, I can fix it. I can yes. fix it. Yes. Yeah. Now, the now I've been given the power. Power structure. I can fix it. I'm in charge. Now I can fix it. It's Metatron's and in charge this, more than anything. This actually just occurred to me. It's very similar to his, you know, the whole thing where he orchestrates this plot to get Nina and Maggie together, where he's exerting what is, uh, I thought, an unhealthy amount of control over the two of them. Mm-hmm. He can do that to heaven. He can run heaven the way he wants. But... What are the consequences? I can I can see that being that's that's season three I think yeah probably. yeah <laughs> absolute power corrupts yeah, well, absolutely you know right? Nina and yeah. uh, and Maggie certainly felt the consequences and they were they were forthright and they were saying stop treating us like toys we're not here to be manipulated we're not here for you yeah, yeah we're not here to be manipulated by you and I think Azarafil because he didn't get that he did he didn't get that conversation he still thinks that manipulation of heaven or humans is perfectly fine as long as it meets his ends yeah that was my thought is is the of the two of them that needed that conversation more he's good he can't do that needed to hear them say it more than crowley did yeah Yeah. and because he didn't get that conversation he's the perfect replacement for gabriel it's it's so obvious that both their hearts are breaking in this scene like at one point azurafel says but i need you Mm-hmm. And they are both pulling in opposite directions, and we get to the kiss. <laughs> Which, so uh, the lines that follow it that killed me. You know, he says, "You idiot, we could have been an us." And then he kisses him goodbye. And the so there is a, a post going around where this woman um, was talking about how she was an extra in the bar scene, and at one point, David Tennant crashed face first into the wall, full speed. And when she went and said, are you okay? He said, yeah, it's the contact lenses and the glasses between the two of them. I literally can't see anything. They must have put a friggin' homing device on Michael Sheen for that shot. <laughs> so he, he was coming in full speed. around and like launched himself at this guy. That is the 85th take. You right. don't want to yeah. know where his mouth ended up the first 10, 15 times. Or you maybe do. <laughs> There's a blooper reel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all the times David Tennant aimed for Sheen and missed <laughs> or hit just not the mouth get your tongue out of my nose David <laughs> <laughs> and you see Aziraphale's face when they, when, they, when they separate he's like absolutely devastated and he starts to say something and stops and then says I forgive you Worst possible thing he could have said. (laughs) Yeah, Crowley leaves. Yeah, that would reach to the TV and punch (laughs) an angel. (laughs) (laughs) I already knew that I wasn't liking the direction this whole thing was going to go. Like a little earlier than this, but this is where I was like, 
I may if if I didn't need to finish watching the episode so we could do this so I could know what happened afterwards, I may have turned it off at that point, walked away, and be like, "I'll come back to this in a day or two. I'm not ready to watch anything more. <laughs> I need right. to take a break. Oh, no. I need to think about this." Worst thing he could have said. Yeah. Absolutely, the worst thing he could have said. But even so, after Crowley walks out, Metatron comes to get him. He spends his whole time looking out the window, like he keeps hesitating and looks at the window and looks back at Metatron, looks at the window and says, "Oh." But my bookshop, like you can see him almost change his mind over and over again. Mm -hmm. So close. So close. And then when he gets outside on the street, Crowley is just standing there watching him leave. And he looks back at him one last time before he gets in the elevator. The scene where Metatron is standing in the elevator waiting for him felt sinister. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was done intentionally, but it felt really sinister. And then he finally gets in the elevator. Crowley drives away. Sad violin music. <laughs> mm-hmm. As heartbroken as Crowley is in this moment, I think that he's still hoping. And that's why he waits by the car. Right up to the last second. Because I, any, anybody else would have just been blazed out of there, pissed off, completely ready to just have their emotions fly. But Crowley knows that Aziraphale can't make right. up his mind. And so he waits to see what happens. So, to out the last of curiosity... Moment. Uh, do we know now if there is already a locked-in season three being made? It has not been it's not locked in by Amazon. This <laughs> is a gamble. I like I it. And I know it's based off of the stories that they had talked about doing for a sequel. Uh, you guys, I, I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody had mentioned that this was a plan to, to build up to the sequel. It's a prequel to the sequel kind of thing. Right. But what a gamble if they don't get a season yep. three to have left it here. I yeah. feel like there's so going to be will... a ton of homemade movies just to give you a better ending, a happier yeah. ending so... than this. I feel so... like if they don't renew it, David Tennant and Michael Sheen will make that homemade movie themselves, <laughs> right. if nothing else. I think or, every actor so... in it will Neil be like, I'll do it. Book, I'll do it too. Yeah. Yeah. Neil Gaiman has publicly yeah. said that if uh, Amazon does not renew the series, he will write the third season as a book. Nice. Okay. So we will get we will get an end to the story. <laughs> Oh, oh, good. I can inform Sam now that, that <laughs> something will happen. <laughs> there's definitely, there's definitely going to be a closure to the story. Um, I don't think that there's really going to be a problem getting renewed. It was number one in the UK, Poland, Vietnam, South Korea, UK, Ukraine. You would think I have bigger problems. It's been heavily pirated in China. Um, <laughs> That's a good sign. So... Yeah, so <laughs> it's been very, very popular. Neil Gaiman has actually got some of the fans um, reached out and said, what is the best way to make sure that this gets renewed? And he said, letters. People like, you know, in, in positions of authority are very impressed by handwritten letters. So there is actually a handwritten letter campaign to Amazon uh, headquarters saying, settle the strike, use your influence to settle the strike and renew the season because we want it. We need it. Yes. <laughs> so now I want to talk about the characters a little bit. Wait, real, real quick. Who watched all the way through the credits? Me. I did. Do you see the last oh, yeah. when minute it, when it smile? splits? Yes. Aziraphale mm -hmm. seems to be, and then just right before they go blurry, a huge smile goes on Aziraphale's face. Like he just realizes he's, he's come up with a plan. Because he's worried, he's got that worried look in his face as soon as Metatron Humble. says the second coming. Yeah, yes. Yet another plan to end the world. Right. 
the another apocalypse plan. So let's talk about the characters now. I wanted to to leave this to the end so we have a little more time to kind of deep dive. Let's into the characters and their motivations and their actions as we see them on the screen. Let's start with the Metatron, because I think I've gotten the impression that everybody else in the panel agrees with me. I hate this guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Ultimate manipulation. Mm-hmm. Especially, I think part of it is, you know, the, the fact that Zerfail is asking him things about what the next plan is. Vague answers. And then comments on, I wanted him to turn and ask him, like, I think he even did, asked him something like, what did Crowley ask? And he doesn't answer. Like right. it's it's a lot of Metatron has too many cards that he's not even putting on the table to trust it. They're up his sleeve. They're behind his the back of his neck. They're mm. so I have some theories about why he's offered to fill the job. One of them is that line from the trial where he says, well, "One angel being thrown out to hell is a nice story." Two represents an institutional problem. So now you have two angels who have left heaven for love. Mm-hmm. There you have the, the institutional problem of angels voluntarily leaving what is supposed to be the best place in the universe, this idyllic existence, that something out there might be better. We can't let that get around. Mm-hmm. We have to suppress this. And getting Aziraphale back mm-hmm. kind of negates that image problem that, that he's created, that Gabriel has helped create. But to a certain extent, it... It increases the problem because you either have that he thought Crowley would go back, in which case you've, he would have solved the problem because Azerfail won't leave. The person he loves is in heaven. Or you've just put somebody who already loves somebody and would, uh, you know, you're, you're running a big risk that eventually he'll figure out and be yet another overarching supreme archangel that's going to, you know. But two angels loving each other, I think, isn't a problem. Yes. Because having love in heaven is okay. Heaven's the best place. If right? Crowley had gone place. back. But we had made the comment yeah. that we didn't, we thought he knew Crowley wouldn't. So in that regard, I think he's hedging his bets. So the other piece of why I think Metatron has gone after getting Aziraphale is because of that 25 Lazari miracle. They did what they thought was the tiniest tiniest half a miracle each and combined it was like setting off alarms all over the place it set off a tornado and friggin have it the combined power yeah if crowley comes back with him then that power is at heaven's disposal yes that's good because it means it's in-house where it can be controlled and potentially targeted and used and maybe it goes away if if crowley is not a demon anymore maybe that extra boost that the power had goes down alternatively if crowley doesn't come up then he split them up Mm -hmm. so that is also a bonus there's no chance that the power can be used against heaven right so i think that offering crowley to aziraphale was basically a win-win if crowley takes it then they've got control because everything's you know both people are in heaven where you can keep an eye on them and if he doesn't take it you've split up the couple so there's really no downside and if metatron happens to remember that uh if we were correct that crowley actually is lucifer then that would be essentially an extra an extra archangel on the side of heaven an archangel by themselves can't do anything against the combined powers of heaven or the combined powers of hell but 
an angel and uh, an archangel and Lucifer would be absolutely unstoppable. So it it really seems to be setting up that that somehow that final battle that would occur in book three would be an archangel and Lucifer against heaven and hell, which would be an interesting an interesting fight. You know, it's like was the twenty five Lazari thing a matter of just an angel and a demon performing something together, or was it the fact that these are, you know, two very powerful beings? You know, what a finale for season three. Yeah, it it does kind of make sense that Crowley's powerful because he does all these tricks with time, mm-hmm. which I get the impression is not something that everybody can do. Right. He restored that shopkeeper pretty easily, mm-hmm. too. I don't get the sense that that was something that a normal demon could accomplish right. either. But I really do think it's like the power from above and power from below combo mm-hmm. that it was the, the, the bell ringer. That's what yep. made that specific miracle so intense. Up, down, up, down. And Crawley says as much, too. start. Yeah, it's the celestial Konami code. So I don't know what Metatron's up to, but I don't believe it is anything good. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right about wanting to split them up just being a win-win. Either splitting them up or having them together. Uh, If they were on Hell's side, then that would be, that'd be ballgame. If it's on Heaven's side, it's ballgame. If they're split up, you know, there's still a chance. Oh, that's actually a good point. Um, getting Azurafel back in heaven basically precludes the possibility that Azurafel ever ends up in hell for any reason. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's in love with a demon. Anything could happen. Right. right. <laughs> so now let's talk about, um, oh, well, first of all, anything else about Metatron? Fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to get t-shirts printed up. <laughs> <laughs> If we've learned anything, it's that big giant floating heads should not be trusted. <laughs> when he first showed up, I started formulating all kinds of really bad meta- Metatron, Megatron, Transformer jokes. And that guy is such an asshole, he's not even worth me making those jokes. <laughs> Damn. No doubt. He, he is so evil that he has mm. caused you to forego puns. Yeah, he he's so evil that comparing him to Megatron would just be rude to Megatron. <laughs> Which brings up another uh an, another possibility. Could Metatron be in fact an agent of hell? I think I think he's just an asshole. I think I think there's assholes on both sides. No, but what can yeah. also cause it's it, Metatron as my understanding um you know, religiously is the voice of God. And with God gone, is the voice being able to make some decisions on his own with an authority that he wasn't supposed to have? It's very Alexander Haig. That's my theory. Such that in the next season, will God show up and be like, you then- shut up. Like- <laughs> I think God's done. I think I think she's out. I think Maybe she's just an Alpha Centauri. Could be. You know, not great she night wanted to life, see but- the planets that, that exactly. Crowley uh, built. Yeah, and there could be a scene in... Alpha Centauri next season, where God's just kind of hanging out, and all of a sudden, Beelzebub, Gabriel, <laughs> Gabriel show. Hey, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> Didn't I kick you out? It's the, the Angel and Demon Resort town. <laughs> oh, I the love it. Key West, like the Riza of uh, 
the galaxy. The Key West of so, uh, like celestial the, the, beings. The um, Good Omens version of Ryza. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Azuraphil. I've been trying to figure out why, <laughs> why he would go back to heaven and think taking on the job is a good idea. But Azuraphil is very much the person who wants to confront the problems as opposed to Crowley, who's like, fuck those guys, you know, we don't need them. We'll go off and do our own thing. But if the war between heaven and hell destroys the universe, as Zerifal says, there's nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. Just as everybody would be just as dead, whether they're yeah. destroyed by heaven or hell. But he likes fixing things. But also, where are you going to escape to? Well, there's also been the ongoing thing that that Zerifal has not had a change on is the fact that demons are the bad guys. True. In his mind, like even when the angels screw up, it's a well, yeah, but they're you know excuses made, excuses made. I'm gonna forgive them for that because the devils, the demons, they're the bad guys, mm-hmm. and has created this second category of mm-hmm. well, the de- demons are bad guys, but not you, Crowley. You're not yeah. one of them, right. and it's it's a problematic stance that we see in literature and we see in politics we see in a lot of stuff where somebody finally meets somebody likes them but still wants to be prejudiced against the whole other group and just carves out an exception for that one person that they like Mm -hmm. and i feel that that's still the progress Mm -hmm. that azaraphale needs to make yes curly's already made he's also making exceptions in heaven because he's saying you know i want to report some bad angels to him it's back in season one it's not that heaven's toxic it's that there are specific angels who are bad it's that few bad apples argument yeah yeah well yeah. basically azurafel i mean he's a cop right yeah he's also a, he's also in a cult kind of mm. no i mean he is a cop like heaven yeah. is heaven is cops True. following the rules of the universe a cab um they're god's cops and so he and he's at the point where he realizes that there's corruption and problems within them, but hasn't realized that the entire institution is inherently corrupt because it's a power structure in the same way that hell is inherently corrupt because it's a power structure, yeah. which is where um, which is where Crawley has reached. Crawley's an anarchist and wants no part of it, of any of it. Right. He's seen right? it from both sides. He has been rejected by heaven and by hell. He realizes that there are definitely shades of gray and uh, the way that the way that they put it when they were having that discussion in an earlier episode was Crowley seems to sees things in terms of dark gray. I, I think Crowley has rejected both, not been rejected by right. both. Yep. Or at least he was rejected by heaven in the first place and didn't realize why. Yep. And that has led him to the realization he doesn't want to be part, have anything to do with either of them. And he pretended to be a demon because that was where he had to be because there wasn't anywhere. Like he had to be mm. on one side or the other. And, and he, since he couldn't be in heaven, he had to be in hell. But it's, he stayed as true. far away from it as possible and avoided it as much as possible. And finally reached the point where he was able to quit both. Which last, I guess, gave him, you know, like a few years of happiness, yeah. and then uh, this well, season I happened. I feel like the common ground that the two of them fell in love over was the fact that the system is flawed, the system uh, needs needs improvement. However, mm-hmm. they both still are two different standpoints on that. One is, then we blow up the system. The other is, no, if I could get power, I could fix it. And now yeah. he's been offered that power. Yes. So it's, yes. It, the yeah. system is, can be rescued, yes. yeah. Azurafel is a liberal. But here's the thing. <laughs> Here's the, here's the thing. 
Azurfil has not seen heaven at their worst. Mm-hmm. Crowley has. Mm-hmm. Crowley was in Zerfel's body when they tried to murder him. This is true. I don't know how much Crowley has told Azurfel about what happened during mm-hmm. that scene. You see him tell Gabriel about it. You don't necessarily know that Azurfel knows the details of how he escaped being executed. Azurfel went to hell knowing that this attempt would be made. Mm-hmm. You know, they were yeah. going to douse I mean, him both, in holy water. They both water. knew that, that their bosses were going to try and kill them, and right. they came through it. But the whole interaction with Gabriel, like, shut your face and die already, Crowley obviously holds a grudge about that, but I don't know that he's ever communicated the details of what happened to mm-hmm. Azurfel. Mm-hmm. Crowley also witnessed Gabriel's trial, yep. where he's being told your memories will be wiped as a mercy. Yep. Like, how fucked up is that? So Crowley has actually witnessed more of how The corruption within heaven. Heaven mm-hmm. is than Azurfel has. Mm-hmm. And as we have figured out, these guys don't talk to each other. Right. I, I still feel that even if he knew that, he would still try to fix things. I think he would still take the role. And I think it's just a very, very basic character level thing, which is Aziraphale is hope. He's hope incarnate. Mm-hmm. He's always hoping for the best outcome. Mm, yeah. And in this case, that he's hoping that he can make things better. Yep. He has that hope. He still believes that he can do something, even though the system is that corrupt. I think that is the best summary yep. of his character I've ever heard. Yep. Yeah. And I and really you know, do. Crowley is is just nihilism, pretty much. Yeah. Just like, you know, let it all burn and, and start anew. Mm-hmm. This is this it both sides are bullshit. This is nihilist. Yeah, just complete nihilism. And and Aziraphale is just hope. Mm, I like it. I was thinking about some of the earlier episodes because um, I'm, I'm trying to find connections in the story that will lead to season three. And there's all this Job stuff. And I'm tr- sort of seeing a parallel between Aziraphale and Job where you treat somebody like shit to test whether or not they'll remain faithful to you. And then here's your reward. You get to not be treated like shit anymore. You get to come home. You get seven children. You get seven children. You get a promotion. You get to be the boss. (laughs) Yeah. Archangel in your title. But that doesn't change the fact that being in a relationship, someone who tests you is fucked up. Yep. You know? Yeah. The thing that gets me about this breakup scene, the thing that it, it is so well written, they both think the other one rejected them. They're both like, here's my heart on a plate. And the other one said, no, that is some nasty shit. I am so mad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and I think that's part of what makes us so angry about it is the fact that regardless of the fact that on the two sides of how to deal with the corruption in the system, the time where they were, were on that same plane of the system is corrupt, they genuinely fell in love. And so having this thing that, of course not talking with the person you're in love with is often something that will lead to problems in your relationship down the road. But this is that thing where when they finally get that opportunity to fix how they feel it should be fixed, they're realizing how on opposite sides of that issue they are. And it's an issue that's so important to both of them that they thought the other one loved them enough to just be on their side instead of talking. Yeah, there's foundational stuff that is just unspoken and that's what causes that. And having that discussion now in the moment is done in an emotional state that you're not ready to yield any ground. 
you're so convinced that now I have my opportunity. And Crowley's convinced I have my opportunity for us to say, fuck this all. And Aziraphale's convinced I have this opportunity to have the power and fix it. They're so emotionally mm. invested in their solution. Mm-hmm. And, and this conversation. A conversation should have been happening for the last four years, and neither one of them is doing it. Right. For the last millennia. Well, I mean, Crowley <laughs> himself says, you know, we had to pretend we weren't together for all this time, but the last few years, finally, we've yeah. been able to be openly together. But then they don't seem to have made any progress. They're they're not talking to each other. There's a scene where, where Crowley is uh, escorting the humans out uh, when the demons are outside the bookstore, and Azurfell says, can I make a suggestion? And Crowley's like, I got this, and just goes. They are working, they think, for the same goals. They are still trying to protect each other and trying to help each other, but they're not working. They're working in parallel, but they're not working together. Right. Because they don't talk to each other about the really important shit. Yep. They don't seem to talk to each other about anything. Like, did Azurfil even know that Crowley was living in his car? Yeah, the, the moment he's like, well, you know, guy, when he said, I need to stop living in my car, there was part of me that's like, just live in the bookstore already. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's already said it's your bookstore as much as the car is ours. It's our bookstore. Yep. I feel we've, over the course of this episode, I don't feel we got a surprise at the end from Crowley. No. And yep. I don't I don't want to say that, that we were surprised by Zarephale's choice. But it was one of those where there was a chance it could go another way. And Crowley, it's exactly how we expected that to pan out. So there's not as much of a new like feeling about Crowley and his standpoint. Is my right. opinion. So the only other thing I have to finish with is there's obviously a lot of threads that haven't been tied off. The whole thing about the Book of Life, that got mentioned several times. So we know that's important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the second coming is obviously important. I still think that the whole Job story ties back somehow. I, I actually think they're probably going to pick another story to be the overarching thing of season three. I, th- I think Job was the overarching se- uh, thing for season two. I think they'll pick another story. Um, Adam and Eve kind of was the overarching story for season one. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But I, if time passes between these two seasons, I can't wait to meet Muriel after having run a bookstore for that amount yeah. of time. When she's been around humans for four years, she's a few years, she's going to be awesome. I, I, I just see so much budding potential yeah. to that yeah. character. So much fun to play with. Her access to all the books, her access to humans has just been granted. Mm-hmm. She's going to be the angel to human version of a weeb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's accurate. That is 100% accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till she finds anime. <laughs> <laughs> the hentai portion may be a little difficult for her to get through, but... <laughs> as, as it should be. As it should How be. does that work? <laughs> so does anybody else have any, any additional thoughts? This was a, a real emotional roller coaster of an episode i'm still not over it <laughs> my only thought is be watch season three now i was gonna say my final thought is settle the strike get back yeah. to filming season yeah, three pay we your writers it. pay right. your actors let's get this show on the road yep yep take care of neil okay so i guess we have an 
protect Neil so we can get the, the story in some fashion. We started, we started the episode with threatening Neil, and so now we're on to protecting Neil. So I guess that's progress. <laughs> Considering the podcast is named after him, we should probably lean toward the protecting side. <laughs> so let's call that an episode. Greg, do you want to take us out? Certainly. First of all, we need to thank Michael and Jen at the Watch Party Secret Island headquarters. Thank Thank you, Michael Michael and Jen. Jen. They are responsible for all of this. Also, our sister podcast, Watch Party of Wheel of Time, Watch Party Lord of the Rings, a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. Just a programming note, uh, as this is the season finale of Good Omens, We will be taking some time off to focus on the next upcoming series uh, that we are part of, and that is Wheel of Time. So uh, we'll be moving from Game and World to Wheel of Time. Where I get to slack ass and be a mere panelist. (laughs) Somebody else gets to be host. Uh, Oh, crap. I'm going to have to start hosting again. Back to work, Rourke. Back to work. Oh, man. All right. So (laughs) now you got Greg to edit some of them. We'll talk about that. So subscribe to all of those, rate and review us. Uh, The reviews help. We can reach out to more people this way. Give us an email at gameandwatchparty at gmail.com. We will read your mail on the air. Check us out at Instagram at gameandwatchparty. Join us on Discord. Uh, Instructions for that are in the show notes. And it's time for our final question. The big bad in season three is the second coming, which obviously means that Jesus is going to be part of the cast. Who do you want to see play Jesus? Danny Trejo. Oh, I like that. <laughs> I, I am so 100% on board with that. Yes. Because hey. that means Jesus loves tacos. Yes. Jesus has a taqueria. And will yes. he be Jesus or Jesus? That's the other question. Uh-huh. Danny Trejo, sticking by. All right. Good answer. Try to crucify that guy. Come on. <laughs> he's back and he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> Machete Jesus. Machete is Jesus. <laughs> My answer is fairly prosaic. I want the guy who plays Loghain in Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. So you want Jesus to play Jesus? I want Jesus. Yeah. I want Wheel of Time Jesus to play Good Omens Jesus. I think. Okay. So I'm heavily torn between two choices. On the one hand, Phil Caracas, who played Jesus Christ in Jesus Christ Vampire Hunter. um, Which was a fantastic, fantastic movie. I know I say that I hate musicals, but that was one musical that I will absolutely endorse. Right. And the other is Christopher Eccleston, who played Jesus in uh, a two-part series called The Second Coming, in which he is... That sounds like a very angry Jesus. He is a very angry angry Jesus, yes. Mm. And, of course, also fits very nicely within the Doctor Who actors appearing wherever Neil Gaiman can possibly cast them. Ah, very nice. I will say that originally there was part of me that wanted to say Morgan Freeman, just because the amount of times he's played God... I feel like him playing some aspect of the Trinity would be hysterical. Typecasting. That's like typecasting almost on a George Burns level. I'm going to go a slightly different route. I'm going to say Maisie Williams. Ooh, Ooh. that could be interesting. Arya Stark playing the second coming 
I could see that. Interesting. So um, I was thinking, and I was trying to figure out who could play Jesus in this. And then I realized that because of it being Gaiman and Pratchett and et cetera, et cetera, they're probably going to go with an English Jesus. I want Eddie Izzard as Jesus. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I can get behind that. Yes. Mr. Gaiman, we know you're listening. <laughs> and you Make probably have their number. I like it.